morning. If you'd like to follow along with me, the scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the uh, English Standard Version, and this is, uh, if, if you're following in your pew Bibles, it's page 1007. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We want to remind everybody that Happy Haven has been helping children for 50 years, and they're giving a celebration and an opportunity for us to learn more about this great work and come in for a great Friday evening and enjoy a bluegrass band, a meal together, learn about the work and the wonderful opportunity to give. Sign up, more information at Information Central. Be sure and check there. Uh, if that's something that, that you would like to be a part of, we would invite you to be a part of that. We want to learn more and continue to help this great work uh, for a lot more decades, help a lot of children uh, that would have needs in their life. God's great expectation. Someone walked in off the street in January and said to us, I don't know a lot about God, but I want to know about God. What is it that I should do? Surely the first place that we should start in telling someone about God's great expectation is choose God. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And if someone does that, what they're going to learn that God would say next is love. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in February, we also even looked at the fact of God's great redemptive love told through the story of Hosea. Now, if we love God, there's an inseparable expression of God's love that Jesus would say it like this. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's just impossible to say that we really love God and yet we don't keep his commandments. And so this month we've been looking throughout uh, the lessons on Sunday morning of this topic of live truth. It is so important for us to know that God gives the standard of truth, not our emotions, not the situation around us, and not culture. God gives the standard of truth. And as we consider this morning, I hope that, that uh, this, these lessons this past few weeks have been an informative challenge to all of us. Let's live truth. Living truth is a wonderful opportunity that we have, but sometimes we hear it and think that it applies to somebody else. I think about the political corruption trial that was taking place and the prosecuting attorney approached the witness and he said to the witness, is it true that you have accepted $5,000 to corrupt this case? And the witness wasn't even paying attention. It, at least it didn't look like he was staring out the window. And so the prosecuting attorney bellowed a little louder. Is it true you have accepted $5,000 to compromise this case? He still is just staring out the window. 
And the judge leans over and says, sir, go ahead and answer the question. And the witness was startled. He said, oh, I thought he was talking to you. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how many times we get confused about who's God talking to? Isn't it interesting that so many people will tell you they have a zeal for God and they'll also tell you, I don't know anything about the Word of God. Who do you think he's talking to? Do you think he's talking to everybody else that's going to have a zeal for him? Or could it be that it is impossible to have a righteous zeal for God without knowing his righteousness? Today, even though there are many good things that people that would be zealous for God would do, I'm afraid that we have lost the way in what our zeal ought to be rooted in. For example, today if you talk about being zealous for God, what a lot of people would expect is that's going out and giving blankets to those that are homeless. Or that's serving at a soup line. Or that's offering food to a shelter or clothing to a shelter somewhere. Or I tell you what zeal is, it's just no matter what happens in life and no matter who it happens to, just blurt out the phrase, oh, that's God's will. That is ridiculous. If you are going to live in a place where everything is God's will, that's called heaven. On earth, God has given men and women free will to choose. And many, many times, men and women choose sin. And sin brings horrible consequences and so what they are experiencing is not what God willed for them. God wanted something different, but they decided sin. And so it doesn't mean that you're zealous if everything that happens, you blurt out God's will. It means that, well, I'll use a word that the text today is going to use. It means you're ignorant. Or is zeal just saying, you know, I'm going to go around on the bumper stickers on my car and I'm going to make sure everybody knows some Bible verses. Or I'm going to wear a cross and to prove that I'm more zealous, I'm going to wear three crosses instead of one. Or I'm going to go to a place where the worship is a huge performance act that stirs the emotion of all the people. I'm going to be really zealous. I'm going to hit the streets and I'm going to protest everything that I see that is morally wrong. Or you know what? I'm going to be that person at work. I'm going to be that person at work that just won't stop talking about God no matter who doesn't want to listen. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be so zealous that if you don't want to listen, I'm going to win the argument with you no matter what it takes. I'm going to prove to you that God is right. How many times when people talk about zeal for God in our culture today would people picture an open Bible? Isn't it interesting that even though some of the things we've just mentioned are things that Christians ought to be a part of, isn't it interesting that one of the things that you don't expect in our religious culture today when someone says that they're zealous for God is you don't really expect them to be talking about learning, loving, and living the holy word of God. As we go into Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, I'd like for you to see that even though Paul talks about the zeal of those of Israel in verse 2 and 3, I'd like for you to notice that he proves his zeal in verse 1. And you have to love the fact that he talks about his desire. He even says it is his heart's desire and prayer 
that Israel would be saved. Now, I've almost said the verse to you, but let's read it together. Look at Romans 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. What is it that Paul's zealous about? Paul says, oh, let me tell you what I'm zealous about. Let me tell you what's in the depth of my heart, the desire I have. Let me tell you what I pray about over and over and over. Paul, what are you so zealous about? He says, I pray for people to be saved. I want Israel so desperately to be saved. You remember, he was of Israel. Remember, he was converted from Judaism. In other words, he's looking back at those and he's able to say, I, I used to be just like that. And when he was converted to Christianity, Christ gave him the commission to go and to reach the Gentiles. His conversion to Christianity and his task to reach the Gentiles did not hinder the fact that he still loved his own countrymen. He still wanted Israel to be saved. He loved them dearly. And so that was his constant desire. That was his constant prayer. But there was a problem. Look at, there still in Romans 10. Look at verse 3. The problem was, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. It's dangerous to be ignorant of God's righteousness because for Israel, the situation was they were ignorant of his righteousness. And because of that, of God's righteousness, they didn't know Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They didn't know that he was the Savior. And the fact is, in Acts the fourth chapter and verse 12, Peter was talking to Israel. You remember the crippled man had been healed and the Sanhedrin council had called Peter and John in. They didn't like the fact that when the crippled man was healed, they gave credit to the power to be able to heal the crippled man to the same God who could raise Jesus from the dead. And so because they didn't like that, they were urging them to stop preaching about Jesus' resurrection. And so in verse 10, the topic is Jesus. And that leads us to verse 12. Look here at Acts 4 and 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or back up just a few days prior to that when Jesus said in John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Paul, what's your concern? And Paul says, my heart's desire, my prayer is for these people that are lost. Paul, you're telling me that you're going to say they're lost? Yes, I'm going to tell you they're lost. Paul, how can you say that? Because they don't have Jesus as their Savior. And with that, Paul loved them so much. If you're there in Romans 10, back up one page to Romans 9. It's really powerful. In verse 1, he says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. Verse 2, remember in 10 and 1, he said, it's my heart's desire and prayer. Notice what he says in 9 and 2, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Paul, what is producing such great sorrow? What is producing continual grief? You can't get relief from this. What is it? And he said, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul, like Moses of, of years ago, Moses said it similarly in Exodus, the 32nd chapter. And now Paul says it in Romans 9. And it's this, 
I would give up my own soul salvation if, in giving up my own soul salvation, my countrymen could be saved. Listen, out of everything we've said this morning, beginning with the examples of zeal, and now looking at Paul's example of zeal, I'd like for you to compare the two in your mind. What is true, righteous, godly zeal? It's concern for people's soul. Take them a blanket, take them clothing, take them soup, but make sure as you take those things, you take them Jesus. Talk, whether it's at the office or to a neighbor or at your home, but talk to them in a way that shows them the love of Jesus as you speak the truth of Jesus. For Paul, his entire life was about bringing souls to salvation. And everything else that he did, everything else that he did was an effort to support that greatest of efforts. You know, my fear is sometimes those of us as leaders, those of us as Christians, there are so many people that say no to Jesus, we become calloused. Am I fair to say that? I hope that you're listening to that statement and you're saying, no, not for me. It breaks my heart. Not for me. I cried last night about someone's soul. I prayed my heart's desire out last night about someone's soul. No, you're not describing me, or am I describing me and you? That we see so many people reject Jesus that it no longer bothers us. No remorse. No care. And then we look at Paul's zeal, and we're reminded again of how desperately we ought to care. Just this week in California, an emergency room doctor lost a 19-year-old patient. The paramedic that was helping, when he left the ER and was about to get into his vehicle, he looked across the street and he noticed the same doctor and he took this picture. And with permission, that picture has been shared and it's gone viral this past week. And part of the quotes that went along with this picture reveals the fact that in the medical field, they said we work with life and death every day. But sometimes death still gets to us. Truthfully, I'd rather not have a doctor that death didn't still get to them. I'd rather not worship with a church family that spiritual death still doesn't get to them. I would hope that every one of us would learn and, and, and be encouraged by Paul's zeal. That zeal that would say, let me tell you what's on my heart. Let me tell you chapter 9 and verse 2 and 3. Let me tell you the great sorrow I have. Let me tell you the continual grief I have. Let me tell you my heart's prayer, my heart's desire. It's for those that are lost to be saved. But you see, our problem is 
It's hard to reach people that are zealous about God and they're ignorant of his righteousness because they truly believe everything's okay when it's far from being okay. Look with me, if you will, to the second and third verse. And as we're about to look at this, I just want you to be thinking about Israel's faith. Paul describes Israel's faith here, and it's not a very good description. At first it sounds good. He describes it as being zealous, but then he immediately describes it as being ignorant. Look in Romans 10 and 2. For I bear them witness. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm telling you this because I've been there myself. I know how it was. And also, I continue to see it with my own eyes. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not talking to you from hearsay. I'm not talking to you from gossip. Paul says, I've seen it. I've lived it. I know what I'm about to tell you. And here it is, that they, notice that they uh, mentioned a couple of times here and there at the end of verse 3. They have a zeal for God. That, that sounds good, doesn't it? And it is good to have a zeal for God. But here's the risk. Notice the contrast with but. But not according to knowledge. For they, what's the problem? Being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. How dangerous is ignorance? In Luke, the 23rd chapter, in verse 34, it was Israel. It, it was the Jews, if you will, being moved by the Romans, or the Romans being moved by the Jews, that when Jesus hanging from the cross looked down, you remember his description of ignorance? Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. A few days later, back to that same story, in Acts the third chapter, the crippled man is healed. And so when they, Peter and John, described to the people the power, that it was the powerful God that could heal this man was the same powerful God that could resurrect Jesus, he also tells them back in the third chapter in verse 15, you murdered the prince of life. And then notice what he says in Acts 3 and 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in what? Ignorance, as did also your rulers. Now let's just put all of this teaching together that, that from Peter's teaching, from Paul's teaching, throughout the scriptures, Israel has always been known to be zealous. But what is the danger of zeal plus ignorance? Zeal and ignorance is so dangerous that that's how Jesus Christ ended up crucified. Zeal and ignorance can lead you and I through some horrible paths. Hosea, the fourth chapter, speaks of this. In Hosea 4 and 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. In other words, that last part, he's talking about the continual effect that it will have for generation after generation. You realize we're only one generation away from complete apostasy. One generation fails to teach the next generation. What is it we have to fail to teach? The knowledge about God. 
the teachings, the commandment of God, the righteousness of God, why were they perishing? Because they were not being taught the way of God. You know, there's a sad reality today that there are more and more people saying things that just honestly don't make sense. But it is a result of this idea of being zealous for God without knowledge. Just recently in one of our publications, a, it was about the next generation of preachers and they quoted several young Bible students in colleges that were looking forward to going out and preaching. And one of the young men that they quoted said, the word preacher is not a biblical term. Now, where would that come from? 1 Timothy 2 and 7, Paul said not only had he been ordained an apostle, it says he has been ordained a preacher and an apostle. Why would anyone, number one, want to come up with something so foolish? And number two, how could you come up with something so foolish? You would have to be ignorant of the righteousness of God to throw out a statement like that. But then... Ask yourself this, and I don't know all the answers to this, but why would you want to believe that preaching and teaching and those that do it being preachers and teachers not being a biblical concept? Do you remember what John the Baptist was described as doing? He was described as being a preacher. Paul was called a preacher. And you know what Jesus was described as doing? Jesus was described as being one who preached. Isn't it interesting in our culture today, the idea that places emphasis on the word of God being taught is really not only being pushed down, but oftentimes it's being spoken of in a negative sense. Preaching is a beautiful concept. And I'm not talking about because of an individual person or man that does it. I'm talking about just the word. The word comes from the idea of a herald back in the first century where the king would say something in a normal voice, if you will, a normal volume of voice. And the herald would stand beside him before a large crowd and the herald would speak the same exact words that the king spoke. And that's where the word preacher comes from. And then that herald could turn around and, and he could travel to the next village and he could say the same words. And the king trusted that the herald would take the same message. The herald was loyal to the king and to the king's message. And the people, they wanted the king's message. They didn't want what the herald thought about the king's message. They didn't want the herald to change the parts that maybe they wouldn't like. Can you imagine? The king stands and he says, I'm going to raise your taxes. And so he goes, the herald goes to the next city over and he thinks, what would these people like to hear? The king said he's going to lower your taxes. Do you realize that's the way some people preach? What does the king say? Oh, well, that doesn't really matter. What do the people want to hear? We perish without the righteousness of God. And we must realize that that is the purpose 
of our preaching. And that's what we ought to demand out of it. As we close, I'd like for you to know God's righteousness and submitting to it is what is demanded. Look again at Romans, the 10th chapter, verse two and three. And at the end of verse three, I want you to notice this. They were ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness. And notice, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I'd like for you to notice three key teachings in the verses we've just read. One is we do need to have a zeal for God. But two, that zeal needs to come from the righteousness of God. We need to learn the word of God so we know the righteousness. But still, knowing it is not enough. Then we have to decide, are we going to submit to it and do it? In this very same chapter in Romans 10, many of them did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's making the plea for the rest of this chapter. Are you going to be willing to believe that? Are you going to be willing to confess that? As a matter of fact, in Romans 10 and 13, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then we go down to Romans 10 and 16, and he said, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? But then in verse 17, he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Isn't that interesting there that the plea was, if you want to be saved, you need to call on the name of the Lord. And the response to that is, but Lord, many have not obeyed the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful connection there of clarity for us? If we want to call on the name of the Lord, what must we do? We must obey the gospel. And then in obeying the gospel, what would we do? We would build that faith that Ephesians 4 and verse 5 speaks of that's called one faith. And where's that one faith come from? By hearing and living and loving the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. What did I learn today? Number one, zeal for God is good, but it's not enough. Ignorance of God's righteousness is dangerous. That's what led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Number three, no matter how much zeal I have for God, without studying his word, I'll be ignorant of his righteousness. Number four, zeal and knowledge without submission is also spiritually dead. Healthy zeal for God digs into his word with a willingness to submit to all of God's righteousness. But number six, be careful having a zeal for God if you don't know scripture it can be dangerous to your soul. There's an un, there is an avoidable mistake that we ought to be aware of. Zeal for God without knowledge. And the way to avoid it is to live truth. This morning, how could we help you have a zeal for God based on his righteousness? If you know what God's will is for you this morning and yet you've not submitted to it, could we encourage you to submit to the will of God this morning? Are you ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins? Are you ready to become a Christian, a disciple, a follower of him? Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost sight of that journey and you want to repent. That's that turn, that change. And that change is submissive. That change is submitting to come back to the will of God. And maybe this morning you're ready to do that. And, and we'd love to pray with you and, and encourage you in every way that we can. Maybe this morning you have heard enough to know that your zeal for God has not been rooted in knowledge of God. And maybe you want to sit down and study further. We, we do that every week, and we'd love to do it again this week with you. 